We're starting the last chapter of Daniel um, with the narrative section. Now, if you notice, we're not going to finish the whole book of Daniel because after Daniel 6, um, it gets into some pretty apocalyptic stuff. And I just kind of feel like uh, we have a very limited amount of time together, so I felt like maybe we should just end with the narrative and kind of move on to talking about some other things. So if you, if you can re- remind yourself a little bit, I know it's been a little sporadic. We've talked about it for a few weeks and took a break and talked and took a, took a break. But Daniel is really trying to answer this one big main question. How, as God's people, do we live in a world that is bent against God and bent against his people? Whether we see this bending against God and his people even in our our homes or our schools, our communities, you don't have to look far into other countries to see that Christianity is not always a popular thing to do. In fact, I think it's a very unpopular thing to do. To, to, to walk as Jesus walked, to, to live radically, but to also be of truth and, and say things are wrong and call out sin and tell people sometimes the really hard reality that they can't save themselves can just be downright um, dangerous. And so tonight we're looking at a, a very familiar story. The story is Daniel and the lion's den. Now, I grew up going to Sunday school, and the, like, there's like a, a plethora of just little stories that are told to every little kid growing up in church, right? You have like Abraham, you have Joseph, you have like the ark, right? Noah and the ark. You have Daniel Lyons Den, you have Jonah and a big fish. Like, what am I missing, right? Like, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is a big one, right? And kind of these stories just become like, hey, be like Daniel. Stick up for God. You'll do really great in life. You know, it's this very moralistic kind of like indoctrinating kids. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be like Daniel. But that makes it hard that when you actually grow up and you read the Bible for the first time, you're like, yes, man, there wasn't two animals. There was like seven clean animals and two unclean on the ark, right? Like, I'm just saying, the first time I read Noah's, like, the the, the, the flood account in Genesis 7, like I was mad. <laughs> My entire life, they said two by two, the animals went on the ark. Lies. <laughs> it's lies. And so the same thing when we come to Daniel and Lyons then, um, there has to be this sense in which there's this temptation to avoid that we're not just being called to, to be like Daniel. I think it does serve as an example for us, but... This particular story is for any person who at times grows weary of doing good. How many of you have ever been tempted to um, kind of take your foot off the gas pedal of doing good or trying to stick out in the Christian faith or be different because of any type of hostility, or people looking at you funny, or indifference you have felt. And let me give you a few examples of this, okay? So maybe you're at school, and you're hanging out with your friends, and the religion conversation comes up, and you say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. And you kind of get some weird looks, and maybe people are like, well, you're a Christian, but what about da-da-da-da-da? Kind of like, 
well, you try to formulate some answer, and you're not really sure what to say, and of course the words come out differently. Like, well, are you saying da-da-da-da-da? And they're getting more defensive. You're like, well, you know, I, I just kind of like go with my parents sometimes, man. I'm not like super religious. I'm just a little religious. One example. Two examples. So you're kind of with your friends, and uh, they're talking a certain way, and you kind of know that if you talked like this, your parents would be a little less than pleased. And so you kind of maybe don't like fully enter into the conversation, but maybe you pick up some of the lingo, right? Maybe, maybe like you don't say, um, you don't use the F word as your ums, but maybe when you're really mad and passionate, it comes out every once in a while, right? Maybe when it, when it comes about talking about sex or girls or guys, maybe we're not as bad as some of the other guys, but we still kind of enter into the crude conversations, I remember my friends and I, high school, would say this line, man, if I wasn't a Christian, I would. Dot, dot, dot. Anyone want to, like, share? Like, has anyone ever thought that or said that before? Blake, thank you. Only Blake. But, like, isn't that, like, the, the, the challenge of when we live in a world where the same values of the Christian faith aren't shared? When people don't talk like you, when people have a different sexual ethic than you, when people don't care about integrity, when people think that a word is just a word, and we're around them all the time, isn't there this danger of kind of just, we talked about Daniel 1, assimilating? And we all have this temptation to to kind of lose faith, and we'll kind of talk about faith a little later in this message, but we lose faith and we kind of start drifting towards is doing what everyone else does. Kind of just following the ways of the world. Where our desires change from loving God, enjoying Him, to what can I have and do that makes me feel great? And how we treat people becomes more about if you treat me nice, I'll treat you nice. And so the story of Daniel 6 is a story of how God is going to rescue His people when they remain faithful to him. Let me say that again. God desires to rescue, to come in, to help, to save his people when they remain faithful to him. In Daniel chapter 1, do you know what we saw? We saw a little kid named Daniel. He's like a teenager. And he had this whole idea of, I'm going to cooperate with them without compromise. And what we saw was God was faithfully guiding his people in order to keep them pure, holy, and blameless in a world that was far different than theirs. And so tonight, I would like us to consider three different aspects of Daniel's resolve, who he was, his personality. And as we'll come to the end of the chapter, we'll really see the main driving punch of what this passage is all about. So we'll read this whole section, but we'll read it in chunks. So let's go ahead and start with the first point, Daniel's character. This is verses 1 through 9. So go ahead and look down in your Bibles, Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. 
Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came up to an agreement to the king and said to him, O king, Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. So if you remember last time, we had the end of the Babylonian Empire. So there's this weird story about the writing on the wall, some random hand, and the last king of Babylon that night, the Medes and the Persians came in and invaded, and they took over. Now, historical documents show that when the, the, Merds, the, the, excuse me, the Medes and the Persians came and took over, it's not like, an, like, you know how recently in our country we had a shift from democratic kind of executive orders to more Republican? And there's kind of like a little bit of shift in government and how things work. You get new people out in the, in the world to be ambassadors, all that different stuff. This is a whole new nation taking over all of these provinces, okay? And so historical documents said that this whole transition was met by anarchy and civil disobedience, and there's a lot of chaos. And so what King Darius did is he set up 120 satraps. So think of states, 120 different states. And in these states, there's their governors, okay? So in charge of these 120 satraps, there was three different um, high officials, and Daniel is one of them. Okay, so Daniel's pretty powerful. Remember who he was in Daniel chapter 1? He was kind of entering what we call this Babylonian university. He kind of had to like make sure he like ate the king's food and he did this whole Daniel diet thing. And he was just a kid. But now look at him. He's probably, most commentators think he's probably age 90. By this time, there were some Jews who have returned to Jerusalem um, and, but he is still in this kind of exile. Ninety years old, he has prophesied for king after king after king, and now he's like one of the top. How did he get there? His character. He worked hard. He sought to do what was right. He cared about integrity. And so in every narrative story, as I don't know if I've explained this a little bit, but there's kind of like, there, there's, there's a, an issue that happens, right? What do we call that in a narrative? The conflict, right? And then you get some more information, and it, and it kind of comes up to a climax, right? And then there's a resolution at the bottom. So every single chapter, Daniel 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, have all had that kind of narrative where there's like, Conflict, climax, resolution, and it kind of resolves, right? 
And right here, what is the conflict that is happening? Daniel's about to get promoted to, like, the highest person, right? He's going to become, like, the dude. He's going to become, like, the president. And these people are like, no, man, I don't like this dude. Why? Have you ever been around someone who is so good and who is so smart that they make you look bad? I remember when I was doing ballet. I, pro- I, I tried in ballet, but sometimes it just got really boring. Sometimes you'd take shortcuts, you know, whatever. And every once in a while, they, they would hire some guy who would be new, and uh, he would come in, and he's like ready to go. He has his arms crossed at all times, and he can sprint faster than anyone. He gets it. He's smart. He knows how to drive every single kind of car without even being told how to drive them. He, uh, he, he gets along with the managers. He gets along with the customers. And like immediately, the bosses just love him. They say, hey, this dude right here, he's the model example. He's going to get all the best shifts, all the best restaurants. He's going to work for them. And meanwhile, I was like, I've worked here for three years, and I don't get to work there. Right? So those kind of people, that they're just good at everything they do, everything they touch, it turns to gold. And what you, like naturally, what's our kind of reaction to those people? Yeah. Unlike the kids' movies, like when some kid does something, you kind of show off. Right? You kind of just like, you try to find something about them that normalizes them, right? Don't we, don't we do that? If someone's really good at something, we can't, well... You know, I saw that over there, and so, yeah, they're messed up too. You know, they, they have their issues as well, right? But we, we try to, like, put people on a, 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 the same level as us because we don't like have this feeling that people are so much better than us. But when I look at Daniel, I can't find anything. Do you know what's fascinating about Daniel? Is he is the only other character in the entire Bible other than Jesus, where there isn't one sin mentioned about him. <laughs> Any wrongdoing. Daniel and Jesus are the only two characters. Not saying that Daniel wasn't, wasn't sinless. He had his issues. And probably because he wrote the book himself, you know, he's not going to be whatever. I don't know. But it's, it's fascinating that he stands as this, like, perfect example that he is like, uh, it's like Greek mythology, Midas. Everything he touches turns to gold. When I think as as Christians, does the world ever look at us and how we live? Maybe your friends, they all want to go do this, but you say, you know what, no, I I feel like that's, for me, that's wrong, and I want to do that. And they they kind of get mad about it, that you don't share in, that that maybe like, well, are, are you too good for us? You can't talk like us, you can't do things that we do. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 4, says this, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, talking about unbelievers here, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human evil desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and testable idolatry. 
They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. Do you know what Peter's talking about there? Saying that the world does not understand why you want to live a different life than them. There's two things I could say right here. First one, I'll say this. If you have never had a moment in your life being a Christian that didn't cause someone to look at you a little differently or for maybe you to experience some ridicule or being mocked or maybe you suffered a bad grade or a poor reputation because you're a Christian, if you've never suffered anything because of being a Christian, standing up for what you believe in, there's a sense in which I think you're doing it wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying this so that we have to like die and you know, give our lives up for Christ. Sometimes that happens. But at some point, there might be one conversation that becomes awkward. At some point, there might be some loss where all of my friends are cheating on a test and I can do it myself, but I won't. At some point... Because I'm a Christian, I'm going to be honest and fess up to the thing that I did and tell my parents and take the punishment for it. If there's nothing that we ever kind of have to just suffer because of being a Christian, I think that's saying that maybe we're not doing it the right way. Because if we're truly trying to honor Christ in everything that we do, we are going to look different and have sometimes experienced some unpleasant moments. But secondly, what this passage in 1 Peter is saying is that when we do actually live lives that shine forth the gospel, as Jesus would say, salt and light, the world does not understand why you will not be like them. Why can't you have sex before marriage? Why can't you just drink like everyone else? Why can't you just dot, 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 dot? They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. Here's what I'm all saying in this. When you look at Daniel's character, when you look at him aiming and striving to please God, this is what happens. Persecution. Expect it. Like, let me have the, the can we just do very simple logic right here. In the Christian faith, who are we trying to model and be like? Jesus. Jesus Christ, right? Christians. We are trying to model Jesus. Jesus and how he lived his life, how he loved others, and how he became a servant. Did he suffer? He suffered the most. And so if we as Christians want to model Jesus, he is the founder, the champion, the sustainer of our faith. We are to be like him. If he suffered... Why would we ever expect not to? And so looking at Daniel's character of him being above reproach, literally above reproach, that no one can find anything against him, we can expect the same. The second point is this, Daniel's courage. So this law gets into effect that pretty much if anyone prays to anyone else or anything else other than the king, they're going to be thrown into the lion's den, all right? So verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed 
and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God, not King Darius. Then they came near and said before the king, concerning the injunction, O king, did you not just sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man with, within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. And they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said it to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords, and nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. So that escalated quickly, right? It's fascinating to see Daniel's courage in this. And you kind of wonder, like, okay, well, what courage? And there's some pretty specific language here. So the law goes into effect. And if you look at verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house and he prayed. Now let me just say a few comments about Daniel's actions here. One, he did not act in ignorance when he was praying. He's not like, oh, there's a law or something about that, right? I was just doing what I always do, right? Like, I'm sorry, like, I didn't know about this law. No, when he went and prayed, and not just prayed to where he's hiding in his, you know, his basement, but where there was windows, he acted in full knowledge of the law and the consequences that came with it. So when he walked upstairs and he kneeled down and he prayed in front of that window, do you know what he's doing? I don't care if they throw me into the lion's den. They will not take away my prayer. He didn't go and hide to pray. Imagine if they're, weird to imagine this, but imagine if uh, praying to the Christian God, praying to Jesus became outlawed. And that if you did it, you would die. And then now imagine, we might pray, but maybe would we pray hiding in this closet back here? Would we pray just silently in our head? You know, every once in a while, I guess it happens every year, they call it meet you at the pole at schools where you kind of meet early before school and you circle around the flagpole and pray. Also the National Day of Prayer, they do this. It's like a visible thing that we are demonstrating prayer and the, the importance of it and the power of it. He didn't go and hide, but he went up to his house through his windows. He prayed how many times a day? Three he was specific in his prayer, right? And so um, I was at, 
actually Riley graduated from the police academy, and my little brother did too about a month or two later. And there was a chaplain at their academy, and he prayed. But the thing is, kind of when, when you kind of go to the military or something like that, the prayer to God is very vague. Like the name of Jesus isn't mentioned. And then there's a sense in which when he was praying, he didn't just say to an unknown, non-specific God, but he prayed to his God. And so when we pray, it's not just this kind of silly um, deity up there who kind of hears us and has warm, fuzzy feelings. We are praying specifically. And lastly, he didn't change the way he prayed. You know, there's a sense in which uh, if I'm praying with Alex Olin, and then maybe if I pray with an unbeliever, I have the opportunity. Do I, do I change the way I pray? Do I, do I kind of make it a little easier or softer for them to kind of get behind? Does anyone here like Chance the Rapper? Oh, I love Chance the Rapper. Um, he, there's this story, I was listening to him, his grandma was always like this like warm Christian lady, and when he'd go on his tours, it would kind of just be like, I just pray for my baby, you know, just send blessings upon him, just make him safe. And I always kind of like warm, easy prayers. But then one time, I think some of his friends kind of got in some gang violence and all this stuff, and his grandma prayed, and she said, Lord, I just pray that you would send misery and destruction in his life until he realizes that he needs you. I pray that you cast all those negative influences out of his life. And he says in the middle of his prayer, he looks, and he's looking at his grandma like, what happened to the nice, sweet prayers that you always said about me? And he said that was like really like the, the, the wake-up call that he needed. Like His grandma was like, no, you need like action in your life. You need some real prayer. Not just these warm, hey, just go have a good day, and we pray for traveling mercies, whatever those are. Traveling mercies. But we need specific prayer, action, conviction, But when I read this passage, I'm also reminded of a story where didn't Jesus say, don't go and pray in public and heap up a bunch of words? In the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't Jesus kind of warn us against trying to be those people? Like if you just went in the middle of your school, <laughs> weird, if you black heels or tum water, and you just like stood on like, um, like a, a bench in the middle of lunchtime, and you just kind of like... <laughs> Like, I'm a Christian, and if I saw you do that, I would get my apple and throw it at you just because it would be funny. <laughs> like, that would be weird, right? Like, like, why are you drawing attention to yourself? And, you know, and sometimes I might pray for one of you guys, and, like, there's a big room here, and maybe I'll, I'll take you to the corner and kind of like, give some more, like, privacy so we can actually hear each other. Like, there, there is a danger, right, of, like, we might be, like, super spiritual when we pray in public, and I think Jesus is, is warning us of that. Like, just because you can pray really nice doesn't mean you should just flaunt it away. But what Daniel is doing here, he isn't doing it to, to show himself off. He's like, look at me, I'm super great. I'm 90 and I'm still alive because of the diet I have. <laughs> but rather, he's praying because this is a way where he can, as Jesus also says, let your light so shine that when men see your good works, they can give glory to your Father in heaven. Context, 
context, context is always key to understanding what the Bible is actually saying. Remember who was originally hearing these words. It was Judah in exile who was learning to try to be faithful to God in a world that was bent against their God and bent against them. This passage was written to people who were slowly becoming more and more like the culture. They were giving in to not doing good anymore. To living lives that please God, they, they can, continued to compromise, to compromise, to compromise. What would this passage have meant to someone living in exile? What does this passage mean for us, where we live in a world where people do not care about following God's word? And we need to have courage to be bold and specific, to lean in to praying, to, to lean in to let, not letting our faith be a way to make us look great, but letting our faith be a way to where they can see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Our last point, Daniel's comfort. So the climax comes, right? Verse 19, Then at, at break of day the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As it came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed thee, because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. And the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. <laughs> they, their children, and their wives. Before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. And King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So when we say Daniel's comfort... The story isn't really too much even about Daniel. Daniel just kind of has one or two lines, right? But do, you, do you see how Daniel's resolve to be faithful to God led someone else to seeing his faith? And, and what did that person do? He wrote a declaration to the whole world that we should praise the living God who endures forever, this king. Daniel's comfort was that he knew his God would deliver him, this angel that came and shut the mouth of the lions. If I can, this is the message of Daniel 6. 
that we need to trust that God is able to deliver his people in this fallen world. The comfort that Daniel had was that he had his God who would save him. In this world that we live in, there are many things that aren't the way they should be. Many people who are innocent don't always get the verdict that they want or deserve. Many times the right thing doesn't always sow the right reward. Many times people die for bearing the name of Christ. But in a world where we are continually being asked to compromise our faith, in a world that is continually against what we believe and how we are to love God and to love others, this is the message we need to hear. That God is going to deliver his people from this fallen world and he will make it all right. But in saying so, I'm not getting prosperity gospel. right? Because if we look at Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11 is what we call the hall of faith. And it's, it's a full of just story after story of Old Testament saints who lived by faith that God was enough. That God would deliver them. That God would save them. But do you know what's fascinating about Hebrews 11? A lot of those people died by the hands of evil people. In one of the verses in Hebrews 11, I think it's verse 52, that they were sawn in two, they were cold and destitute and naked. For the Christians who live in the Middle East, who get crucified and beheaded, did God fail them? Did God not answer their prayers? The time where you might suffer some pushback or unfortunate conversations or awkward moments or just even scorn and contempt from maybe friends or family for being a Christian? Do we just roll over? I think this passage tells us that, that regardless of what, what is happening, we need to trust we need to have faith. What, what is faith, guys? What is faith? I was talking about this with, with Maverick today. Being a Christian means that we will always have the resolve to trust God in the hardest of circumstances, even in loss or pain or grief or boredom or excitement, whatever it is in life, that we would have the resolve that God's way is better than my own that I will listen to God and his word and not trust myself to know what is right. So to unpack that just a little bit, every single time we sin or do something harmful or, or mistreat another person, do you know what we have done? We have stepped away from trusting God that your way is right. And do you know what we have done? We have moved to a point of unbelief that I'll just do things the way I want to do them. Let me, let me say it a different way. All sin is unbelief. To not have faith in God, to trust that what he has said is good, to disobey him, is to show a lack of faith. 
And what this passage is telling us to do, that that even when we might be tempted to just to to push the lines a little bit, I'm not not too religious. We're tempted just to kind of like, hey, I'll just be a Christian by actions and not say anything. We're tempted just to kind of bottle up our faith, that we need to have faith, that we need to trust God. See, when Jesus encountered people attacking him and trying to push him back and to tell him to stop doing his miracles, what did he do? He leaned in, continued to do what was right. And just like Daniel, they sentenced him to his death for doing nothing wrong. But you know what's different about Daniel and Jesus? is that Daniel resurrected out of his grave of this den of lions to only die again one day. But Jesus, when he resurrected from his grave, he will never die again. Jesus is the one person who will always be faithful, even when we can't be faithful. Jesus is the one person who says, trust in me and I will give you everything that you want. We live in a world that is bent against God. We live in a world that is not the way it should be, where presidents and rulers and leaders of nations, even parents and even teachers and even pastors at times, abuse the God-given authority they've been given. But this is the call to every Christian to trust God and he will deliver us. To live in a world where we would cooperate without compromise. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this portion of your word. I ask, God, that you would give us courage, that you give us faith to believe everything that you have said, that we would desire to, to live lives that please you in everything. God, I pray that these students here, that when they go home, when they go to school, when they go to their part-time jobs or their sports or their hobbies, Lord, I pray that they would trust you in everything, that they would know that this world is bent against you, but yet you are faithfully guiding your people. And so, Lord, I pray as we look to stories like this, we are just encouraged and reminded that you are sovereign, that you are in control, and that we can trust you, that we can rely on you, that you are dependable. When everything in the world may seem to be falling away, when everything around us may be shaking, God, you are always the same. You are always true. You are always constant. And so I pray, Lord, that by looking to Jesus, by knowing that since he rose from the dead and is still living, we have hope. We have hope that one day everything will be made right. So Lord, now as we live in this tension of the already but the not yet, give us hearts that are resolved in trusting you for everything. Amen.